Sometimes I've often thought about the, the Apostle Paul and just spend some time to contemplate all of those who were a part of Paul's ministry. When you go through and you read his letters, uh, oftentimes at the end of his letters, he would make reference to those who had had a part in his ministry. And, uh, and I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a whole, there's a whole list of them. Um, and beginning with his letter to the church at Rome, uh, he begins as he comes to chapter 16 of the, the, the book of Romans. He talks about those who had been a part of his his missionary journeys been a part of the different churches. And then you find those who specifically traveled with Paul. And I can only imagine what it must have been like for Barnabas to have traveled with Paul. Uh, Barnabas, at the time that Paul came on the scene, uh, Barnabas had already been speaking and already been teaching uh, concerning the things of Jesus Christ. And then uh, he joins himself to Paul. And I can only imagine probably the apprehension in the mind of Barnabas to join himself with this one named Paul, who used to be known as Saul, the persecutor of the church and the one who hauled Christians away. Um, and so and not only Barnabas, but then there was also John Mark. You know, John Mark became a part of uh, the ministry team of, of, of Paul. And, and unfortunately, things didn't work out between Paul and John Mark. Uh, John Mark wound up going back, but we know later that uh, Paul and John Mark did come to an understanding. You had Luke as well. Uh, Luke, who had uh, traveled with some of the early days of of Paul. And then you had ones like Silas. And then you had Timothy uh, and all of these who had been a part of uh, the ministry of Paul. And, and I can only imagine what it must have been like for these guys to have been associated with Paul and to watch all of the things that happened with with Paul I mean imagine Paul going into an area and you're with him and you're there helping and assisting in the ministry and so on and, and the guy that you're with gets hauled out of the city and he gets about stoned to death outside of the city uh, he gets beaten he gets whipped he gets shipwrecked he gets all of these things and all of these parts of Paul's life and and yet all of these guys stuck with it and you often wonder t sometimes, you know, why, why did, what motivated them to stick with it? And the only thing I can say is what an encourager Paul must have been for them. Uh, matter of fact, when Paul was, was hauled outside of the city and, and uh, stoned and left pretty much just about dead, and as those that were with him gathered around him wondering if Paul was still alive, and Paul looked up at him and says, come on, guys, we're going back in, we're going back into the city. You know, what, what was it? that just brought that, that encouragement to uh, the lives of ones like Barnabas and to Silas and to Timothy? I think I know the answer to that question. It was because of Paul's example. Paul's example from what? Paul's example of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It was nothing that motivated Paul any more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, after the experience on the road to Damascus, Paul's life was absolutely turned upside down. And from, the, from that time for, uh, forward until you come to uh, the fourth chapter in, in, in Timothy, as he's, he's relating to Timothy, as he's coming to the close of his life, 
And here's what Paul and here's what Paul wrote in his charge to Timothy. He said, I'm poured out like a drink offering. He said, The day of my my finality has come. He said, I'm coming to the end of the journey. And he said, I've kept the faith and I've I've fought a good fight. And so as as Paul related all of that, it is no wonder to see how he could have been an encouragement. But this is the way by being an example to those who are with him. I want us to go back to 1 Thessalonians as we continue our study through the letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We will be in verse 17 through verse 20. It's interesting here because Paul is going to return back uh, to the theme of the relationship between themselves and the Thessalonians that he dealt with in chapter 1. We come to the end of chapter number 2 and he's going to go back and he's going to speak about that relationship that he had uh, that he has with the church at Thessalonica. And he's going to go back and he's going to talk about it in, in, in quite the detail. And so this morning I want to share three things with you from these verses, verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, uh, for one of the reasons why I believe that Paul spent so much time talking about the relationship that he had with the church at Thessalonica. He loved the church. And I will say this to you, Paul's love for the church, loves Paul for believers, his love for believers, but his grave concern and burden for the lost. And, 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 and not just the Gentiles. Matter of fact, when you go read and study the book of Romans, when you read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and you'll find one of the things Paul said, if I, he said, if I could be a curse so that my own kinsmen would come to the realization of who Jesus Christ, he said, that's the path I would take. So the gospel was such a motivation to Paul. And as an example to those that were around him, you know, that today, that same motivation that Paul had to the gospel, that that same motivation would be found in us as well. When we consider where we were saved from and what we were saved to, Matter of fact, the scripture talks about a living hope that we have. It's a, it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. The reason we have a living hope because it's in a living Savior uh, who has already gone the way for us. He's already made for us the way. He is the first fruits of all of those who die. Jesus Christ has already prepared the way for us. There's absolutely nothing for us to have to be concerned about, worried about, or afraid of when it comes to that day in our own lives when we will leave this side and find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Why? He's already made the way for us. The way is already there. Three things I want to share with you this morning. First of all, Paul once again here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, affirms his love and concern for the believers in the church. And this is not the only place. When you look at verse 17, notice what Paul writes. He says, but we, brethren, and this we here, the plural pronoun we is speaking of Paul himself, Silas, and Timothy. And so he says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, but not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Paul affirms his love and his concern for the believers in the church, but not only here, but also in other places. And let's go take a look at those. 
Go back to Romans chapter number 1. As he wrote his letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. You'll notice as Paul writes this letter, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. And he writes to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. Is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making requests. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. And notice in verse 11 he says for I long to see you. So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Do you see that? So that we could both be encouraged. And my dear friend, one of the things that it ought to be when we come into the house of the Lord, when we meet and gather in this place and we gather as a family here at Ascension Baptist Church, it ought to be a time of encouragement for all of us as we come together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do what? And to encourage each other in the faith. That's where Paul found his strength from. That's where Paul found his encouragement from, was from the churches, from the believers, all of those who were called saints and all of the places that he had been. And if that's not enough, go to Philippians chapter 1. In his letter to the church at Philippi, one of the prison epistles, and one of the things that I want you to understand, when he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi, he was also in prison. But how in the world could he remain encouraged? How is it that he could have so much joy, even in prison, as he writes the letter to the church at Philippi? We'll look at chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. Look at verse 6 through verse 8. He said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how long, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus longing to see them again just longing to be with them again to encourage each other in the gospel go to second timothy chapter one paul's second letter to timothy in second timothy chapter number one second timothy chapter one beginning in verse number three he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you. You see, there's that phrase again, longing to what? Longing to see them, just to be around them, just to encourage one another so that I may be filled with joy. Every time that Paul spoke of the churches, there was a sense of joy that was there, a sense of encouragement around what? Around the gospel. 
there was nothing any more encouraging than uh, to the to the heart of the apostle Paul than when people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior and then he was able to watch them grow in their faith there is no greater joy than that and then he says in verse 5 he said for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well, speaking of Timothy. And so he goes on to encourage Timothy. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. But do you see this over and over at the church at Rome, at the church at Philippi, at the church at Thessalonica, even to Timothy? As Paul ceased night and day to remember all of those who were a part of those churches. But as we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17, one of the other things that Paul does is he focuses on their separation and their desire and the attempts to return. Not just one, but multiple times Paul wanted to go back to these churches. Multiple times Paul wanted to go back to the church at Thessalonica, but he was unable to do so. And this, listen, this separation... I don't think we understand the magnitude of the separation that Paul felt from these churches. Matter of fact, it was painful for Paul. And it was, I'm sure, painful for Silas and Timothy as they, as they watched the burden that was on Paul as not being able to get back to them. If you look at verse 17, there's a phrase in verse 17 that's an interesting phrase. It says, but, if, but we brethren... Now I want you to notice the next phrase, having been taken away from you. When you look at the Greek phrase there, that Greek phrase speaks of being orphaned. And so the way that Paul saw that, the verb in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the verb in verse 17 is literally being made orphans or as being torn away from. And if you remember back in chapter 2, Paul had made reference to being a father figure and a mother figure and so think about the 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 pain and the emotional discomfort that is there when a child is torn away from his parents and basically that is the magnitude by which Paul saw not being able to get back to them it's just like we've been torn away from them well how did that happen well, Acts chapter 17, when you go back, you'll find that Paul and Silas and Timothy were run out of Thessalonica. And matter of fact, there was an individual who was taken as a result of Paul and Silas's ministry uh, there in Thessalonica by the name of Jason. And so Jason was hauled before them. Matter of fact, here's what Jason did. Jason even put up an assurance that Paul and them would not be back to turn the city upside down anymore. So Paul here in verse 17, he says, my, my concern for you, my love for you, my desire to be back with you is almost as if we have been orphaned. We have been absolutely torn away from you. Because I can tell you right now, did Paul and them feel like they had finished what they needed to in Thessalonica? No, I don't think so. Number two, so not only did Paul affirm his love and concern for the believers in the church, but number two, Paul clearly understood who the enemy of the gospel was. Look at verse 18. Paul understood who the enemy of the gospel was, for we wanted to come to you. You see that? We, we had a desire to come to you. We wanted to come to you. We wanted to come to you to see you face to face. I, Paul, 
more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. Hindered us. So what happened? Well, I want you to notice the phrase in verse 18. As Paul's writing this letter, it is emphatic. It says, I, Paul. I want you to notice he moves from that plural pronoun of we, now in verse 18, to I, Paul. Did Paul understand what the difficulty was? He did. He understood exactly who the enemy of the gospel was. And are you ready for this? It hadn't changed today either. The enemy of the gospel is still Satan. And anything he can do to shut it down. It was so personal to Paul and his desire to return. If you don't get anything else out of here, I want you to understand, this was not some casual desire to return back to Thessalonica. Paul felt this overwhelming need and this overwhelming drive to make a return back to Thessalonica, but he was not able to do so. Matter of fact, they put their plans into action. They put their, 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 their plans into to place to go back. But every time they attempted to do so, their attempts were frustrated. And they were not able to get back. Time and time again, they were not able to get back. Now, let me say this. There's a lot of discussion around the last part of verse 18. And yet, Satan hindered us. One of the things I want you to understand, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. So, let me just make this statement this morning. We do not know exactly how Satan prevented their return before the writing of this letter. We don't know for sure. But we do know this, that Satan is the adversary and the enemy to the gospel. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 6. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Paul understood very clearly who this opposition was from. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse number 10. Matter of fact, we all know this passage fairly, fairly well. It's known as the whole armor of God passage. But there's something particular that I want you to notice beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter number 6. And he says this to the church at Ephesus. He said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not in the strength of your might, but in the strength of his might. Sometimes I think we get to the point that we can handle this. Matter of fact, we have everything necessary today. We have, we have all the technology. We have everything. We have all the latest programs. We have everything that is necessary to build what we feel like is something that needs to be built. But my dear friend, let me, let me, let me just share with you what motivated Paul. Paul knew very well that what he was involved in was not about his might or his strength. He knew where it came from. And he knew that the opposition to the gospel came from Satan himself. And then he goes to verse number 11 and notice what he says. He said, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil or the wiles of the devil, that you'll be able to stand against them because you're no match for him on your own. 
And matter of fact, putting on the whole armor of God is, ought to be something that we do every single day. As we start our day understanding and realizing the magnitude of the adversary, Satan himself, and all of his demons that he has. You know, one of the things that he loves to use is doubt. Doubt is one of his doubt is one of his key things that he uses in any way at all to bring about doubt because you come to verse number 12 and I think very, verse 12 is very telling here he said for our struggle is not against flesh and blood and sometimes we get so hung up on that absolutely we think that everything is this personal battle it's not about flesh and blood but look what he says next but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places it's a spiritual battle paul understood that paul recognized that paul knew that he knew that the battle he knew that the struggle was a spiritual battle that rages and my dear friend listen to me there is nothing that has changed today from the days of paul himself when he wrote these letters the spiritual battle is still there. It still rages today and probably with more intensity today because even Satan himself knows. Satan knows what the Word says. Matter of fact, here's what the Scripture says. Paul writing this says, Even Satan believes. Satan has the ability to be able to transform himself into the angel of light. False teaching, false teachers, heresy, all of that is rampant today. And matter of fact, one of the big things that we're seeing today is this. Surely God hath not said. Well, here's where the attack comes. Well, we'll just start attacking the Word of God. And matter of fact, we don't need to go to the book of the Revelation to attack the Word of God. We don't need to go to the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy to attack the Word of God. Let's just start with the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Because if we can place doubt in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, then you might, as well tell, you might as well take Genesis chapter 12 all the way through the book of the Revelation and just put it to the side. That's where we are today. Paul recognized that. Paul understood that. Paul viewed anything that opposed the work of Christ as spiritual warfare. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Even Peter wrote about it. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Many of y'all can probably even quote this passage. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 6 through verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 through verse 8. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Do what? Oh boy, I'm going to tell you something. That's a killer for us. You want me to do what? Humble myself under the hand of God? In other words, you mean I need to surrender myself under the hand? Yep. Submission? Yep. You know, it's all those words that we don't like to use. Let me tell you why. Because it takes control away from self. But he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he, listen, that he may exalt you. Who may exalt you? Him. At the proper time. Now look at verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. 
Verse 8. So be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen today, and you probably know of individuals today, who have been devoured by the power of Satan himself? Sure. James chapter 4. Matter of fact, James wrote about this as well. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. If you look there, James chapter 4 and verse number 7. See, there's them crazy words again. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Let me ask you a question. How many of us in this building this morning struggle with the word surrender or submit? Really? That's all. Have my hand raised up high in the air because we all do, if we're honest. Look at verse 7 of James chapter 4. Submit therefore to God. You know, I hear people say this all the time. Well, if you'll just resist the devil, he'll flee from you. They leave off the first whole part of that verse because here's what it says Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll do what he'll flee from you that's what will happen number three so number one paul affirmed his love and concern for the believers in the church number two paul clearly understood who the enemy of the gospel was and then number three paul explains the reason for his desire to see them face to face back in first thessalonians look at Chapter 2, verse 19 and verse 20. And here comes the reason for their desire. For who is our hope, our joy, or crown of exultation or rejoicing? Is it not even you? Let me tell you something. If that, doesn't, if that doesn't give you insight into the way that Paul viewed the church, then I don't know what will. He said, is it not even you? And I know some folks are saying, well, wait a minute. I thought our hope is in Jesus Christ. It is. Paul's not taken away from that. What Paul is looking at here is something that is yet future ahead of them. He sees them as they grow and as they mature in their faith that one day, guess what? When they stand before the judgment seat of Christ and Paul is there, Paul will be a part of all of that. He'll see that. His great desire in his heart is for them to come to understand the magnitude of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To understand the magnitude of a living hope. To understand the magnitude of what it means to live in light of glorification. The magnitude of what it meant to be encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he saw. And notice at the end of verse 19, it says, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. Whew. The church was the source of joy, both in the present, as you look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. For you are our glory and joy look at chapter 3 and verse 9 Paul says it again for what 
thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account. But not only in the present, and not only did Paul draw that from the present, but now what Paul does is he now all of a sudden accelerates this thing out to the future. In the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming, in verse 19. You know, Paul's hope is that the labors of the believers will not be in vain. My desire is and my hope is and my prayer is that our labors as believers today will not be in vain. So let me ask you a question. What was it that motivated Paul? What was his motivation to do what he did? It's the gospel. It's seeing people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel. It's watching them. And let me tell you, here's the greatest thing for me. It's when the light bulb comes on with folks. All of a sudden, when the light bulb comes on, and they see it, they get it. They understand being a disciple of Jesus Christ. They understand what it means to be born again. They understand what it means to live in light of that. It changes their whole entire life. But if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in doing the busyness of it that we absolutely lose sight of the motivation behind understanding and realizing it's where we've been saved from and it's what we've been saved to that ought to motivate us in our lives every day. If I can encourage you this, don't ever get over it. Don't ever get over it. I guess one thing in my life I've never gotten over is the day I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. He changed my life completely. Turned it upside down. Don't ever get over it. Don't ever let it grow old. Don't ever let it dry up. Don't ever let the embers that burn so deeply inside of you of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how important it is, don't let it get to the point that it becomes nothing more than just coals are just about to, to go out Paul held it to the end of his life to the final hours of his life you see whatever fears and frustrations that face Paul Silas and Timothy their hope in the church remains strong and I will say this today okay no matter what, you know, I, I hear it. I read it all the time, okay? I, I see it on Twitter. I see it here. I see it there. It's all over social media. The church is declining. The church is falling apart. The church is dying. The church is going to eventually go away. <laughs> Hold on. And I find myself sometimes even getting caught up in all of that. And then I have to remind myself of this. The church will never die. Never will. Never will. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he's also the chief cornerstone. You see, the anticipation of the future perfection of believers is the reality in Paul's relationship with the church. Let me tell you what Paul could see. Paul could see what was coming for them. And for all the believers that are seated in this building this morning, 
I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for you. I mean, I can only imagine eyes not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. Those things that God has prepared for them that love him. But if that's not enough, I got another one for you. Turn with me to 1 John. As John the Beloved wrote this, 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter 3. What was Paul's What was Paul's desire for them? Look at 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. See how great a love See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Do you see that? Y'all underline it. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the what? The children of God. And such we are. It's John writing to the believers. And so, and such we are. And then look at the next part. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Are you ready for this? And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will what? We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That's what Paul wanted them to see more than anything else. Folks, listen to me. Don't ever think for a moment that your labor in the Lord is in vain. Don't allow it to be. What is our motivation behind the reason that we serve? What is the motivation behind what we do? What is our motivation behind our service? May it always be, as Paul spoke about, the very love of Jesus Christ himself. You see, Paul's hope, his joy in his crown, in the future, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he saw. Would be all of the believers that he ministered to in Thessalonica. And you ready for this? All the ones that he had a part of. I'm looking forward to one day. Matter of fact, I remember two guys that were there when I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I can't, I haven't seen them in a number of years. I still communicate with them, everyone, but we haven't seen each other face-to-face -face in a number of years. Guess what? One day I'm going to get to see them again. In the churches, the churches that God's allowed me to pastor and be a part of, we'll all be gathered together, all the believers together in the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Huh? Somebody say Amen. You see, the letter, the letter, the letter that Paul wrote to the, to the churches, even with their difficulties, 
And even with the things that Paul had to deal with, the letter must have encouraged the church tremendously. Because let me tell you what it did. It redirected their focus away from themselves and onto the power of the gospel. You see, the church at Thessalonica was going through intense persecution and suffering. Paul knew that. They were going through intense persecution and suffering because of the gospel. Paul knew that. Did Paul deal with some of the things that were going on in the church? He did. But ultimately, to remind them of who they were. You ready for this? So how do you take what Paul has written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, and bring it down to where we are today? Here it is. Paul encouraged their hearts. Hold on. And here's the way he did it. Don't give up. Don't give up the fight. Don't give in to the adversary. Don't quit. Why? Because as long as there is breath in life, there is. There is a cause. What did David ask? When David went and there's, there's Goliath on one side and the children of Israel all hunkered down, afraid and scared to death. And he looked at Saul and he asked the question. He asked this to the people. He said as David cried out, Is there not a cause here? Is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. So Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica says, Lay hold of the spiritual resources that you have in Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? We have the same. I'm going to give them to you real quickly. Number one, we have the word of God within us. Number two, the people of God around us when we gather together. I'm going to say that one more time. As we gather together. And then finally, and the glory of God himself before us. So we have the word in us. We have the people of God around us. And the glory of the Lord before us. So if I could share this with you this morning in closing. There is no need to give up. There is no need to give up. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica said, If I can encourage you, just stick with it. Just stick with it. Let's pray.